Amen. Why don't you remain standing as we read from God's Word? I'm going to read tonight the first thing, one of the, a, a psalm that has been resonating with me for several, several weeks now. It's something that uh, I, I love to teach, and I love to just continue to resonate on this. Psalm 37, 3 through 7 says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Let God's word resonate in our hearts and speak to us each and every time. Why don't you be seated for just a moment? I am uh, always thankful to be able to come and, and to, to read from God's word and to teach and preach from God's word. And it's one of these things that That particular psalm has really been resonating with me. I had a, a conversation with my son just a couple of days ago uh, about this very, he was, he's, he's struggling, uh, he's not struggling with faith so much, but he, he's struggling with the idea of, of life and, and, and the mortality and, and my, my, my uh, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my father-in-law is almost 90 years old, and, and they live with us, and, and he's been struggling a lot with the, with the reality that grandpa and grandma aren't going to be there for very long, and, and, and he has been so burdened to have discussions about faith with them, asking them, Grandpa, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Do you believe in Jesus? And, and, he's, and he's witnessing to my in-laws, and it's it's a wonderful thing for to watch, but he is he has had so much anxiety over lately that it, it's honestly keeping him up at night. And I showed him this. I said, "Son, you know it comes down to this. This is a psalm that resonates with me when I when I get down or when I feel like the world is just too much. I go to this particular psalm." That's why it's in here today, Psalm 37. It, it lifts me up because it says at the end of the day, and I was explaining this, at the end of the day, all we can hope for, all we can do is trust in the Lord and serve him the best way that we can and let him work out his plan. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. I don't know if you've paid any attention. There's a lot of craziness going on out there. In church, now more than ever, we need to trust in the Lord. That through all things, all these things that are going on, good and bad, it is his plan and his purpose that will reign supreme and will work out according to his good. Scripture promises that. That wasn't even in here. That was all free. I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about submitting to God's will. 
What does that mean for us? You know, uh, in today's world, uh, when we're driving cars, it, it's pretty much second nature now for us to wear seatbelts. But you know that wasn't always the case. I remember growing up, I remember being very resistant to wearing seatbelts. I remember growing up, I was, a, I, was a, I was born in the 70s, a child of the 80s, and I remember specifically, we had, uh, growing up, we had one of those giant, uh, just a boat of a uh, Chevy Caprice station wagon. And I remember as a kid jumping back and forth between the front, the, the middle seat and the back seat. That, that, that particular one had a back seat that lifted up this way, so you'd be looking. So if anybody was coming to rear engine, you'd see them coming. Anyway, that's beside the point. But I remember jumping back and forth. I remember when I was a kid sleeping on long trips, putting, putting pillows down in the, in the wheel well right here below our feet, and I would sleep here, and my sister would sleep here. We never even thought about wearing seatbelts. But then wearing seatbelts became a law. It actually said, you have to buckle up. There's whole, that whole thing about buckle up. And there was honestly a lot of resistance to that law when it first came out. So much so, there was a story in the Associated Press. It was about a story about uh, back in 1997. Uh, and I'm really dating myself because I remember reading it. Uh, there was a New Zealand, a, a man from New Zealand, and he lived there, and his name was, was Ivan. I can't pronounce his last name. Ivan was very much against wearing seatbelts, even though it was the law. He went to the point that, that law enforcement ticketed Ivan 32 times because he failed to wear a seatbelt. And you, can you imagine getting 32 tickets, paying 32 fines, just for not wearing your seatbelt in today's world. I, I can't even fathom that because it's become so, so second nature to us. But Ivan didn't have that thought. In fact, he went one step further. In order to get out of paying any more tickets, he didn't start putting a seatbelt on. What he did is he tied a seatbelt-like strap above, and so it would look like it went over his over his chest, so it would give the appearance that he wore a seatbelt. And this worked for, for some time. It worked out really well until one day he got into a car accident. And the impact made him hit the steering wheel into the windshield, and it killed him. And this was in, in the Associated Press, an article in the Associated Press, because it gave the coroner's report, and it was giving this description of, of this, that he had developed this strap so that it would give the appearance that he was wearing a seatbelt in order to get out of a ticket, rather than submitting to the law and wearing the seatbelt that would have saved his life. Now that I've depressed you with that particular illustration, 
I want to talk to you tonight. That I want to continue, and, and we're taking a break from our again from our on track series. And it's it's funny that this series that our our series for August was called on track, and we're a little bit off track, so it's not without its irony. But that's that's the way it happens sometimes, right? But but about two three, about well, I guess it'd be three weeks ago now, August fifteenth, I was up here and I was speaking to you through the on track series, and we were talking about God's desire for us to be holy, to grow in holiness. And we use this term called sanctification. And we understand that sanctification, when we were there, sanctification literally means, if you look it up in the dictionary, was the action or process of being freed from sin or purified. But that is a whole lot of words. Sanctification literally means to be set apart. And I wanted, my hope is that, that I want to continue challenging you in that, that if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a believer, understand that you are sanctified and you are set apart for his purpose and his expectation. And I want you to grow in that. And, and I want you to begin, challenge you to see and ask yourself, how are you living up to that? How are you allowing him into your life? How are you putting things in the perspective of, of biblical worldview? How are you living that life? How do you identify that you are set apart? See, God sets us apart. God has called us to be his children. God has called us to cry out the name of Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior. He has called upon us. His Holy Spirit has spoken to us, and we have made that step. And when we make that step, God, in his wisdom, in his power, in his love, and in his forgiveness, sets us apart. And I want you to understand that. I want you to, under, as, as, we, as we move through tonight, I just want you to understand that mentality, understand that heart and I want to talk about the other part of this. When we are sanctified, that we are to submit to God's will. Now, in the modern church and really throughout the church, I, what you hear a lot, and, and not even in church, but in uh, so many settings, there is so many books and so many websites and all this stuff about faith, having faith. Faith in, in God, certainly, but faith, we see a lot of stuff about being, having faith in yourself. We see a, a faith in others, faith in humanity, faith in all these things. And it's important for us to talk about faith. I, I have no problem with that. The importance of faith, the fact that understanding that our faith is that we believe that God will provide for our needs. We believe and have faith that God will heal us in our times of struggle. We have faith that God has a plan for us. We have faith and we have freedom in understanding that God, through his infinite mercy, has saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. We have faith that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and at the time of our judgment that we know that we sin and we, and we confess our sins and we, we ask forgiveness of our sins. We have faith that God's word is true and accurate and faith that not only does God forgive us of our sins, but he cleanses our sins from all unrighteousness. And then we have the faith to know that Jesus paid that price so that we have hope of eternal life in salvation and celebration with God the Father. 
We have faith. We have these things. And we talk about it a lot. And I think rightfully so. The, the Bible tr truly supports all of that. But one thing I want you to just hold on to, when we think about faith and when, when we think about faith and submission, is that I want you to start thinking of faith not as the end result. Faith, I want you to think about faith as the fuel that pushes us and drives us to be what God wants us to be. The faith that, that it fuels and it motivates us. Faith is, is the fuel that, that acknowledges and that we as we carry it and that we, are, we have become set apart. We have become sanctified. We have faith in that. And that moves us and moves us in a direction to become what God wants us to be. Faith that God has a plan for each and every one of us to carry out. But I want you to understand when, when we do this that there is a fundamental difference between believing God has a plan faith for your life and submission to God's will. So we have faith, faith moves us, but if we're not submitting to that will, submitting to that plan, then we're, honestly, we're not doing our part. We're not doing what God expects of us. One of the best ways, one of the examples of this I just want to hold on to, if you look in, in Luke chapter 18, this is not the focus, but it's going to be up here. There's a story in Luke 18, Jesus encounters what, what Scripture calls the, a, a rich young ruler, a ruler. And the, and the ruler, who is, who is, a, is uh, most likely is, is Jewish, he comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes through a number of, of the law, right? We see that in 18. He says in 18, I'll read it to you. He, sa he says, Jesus says this, you know the commandments. He said, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And the ruler says, well, I've done all of that from my youth. And Jesus says this, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. The scripture says when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. See, this is a wonderful example, a prime example of a man who had faith. He said, I've had faith from the very beginning. I have faith in your law. I have faith, and I, and I, have, I have carried out and practiced and held the, the, we call the Ten Commandments, the commandments of God, the, the, that part of faith. I've held that in my heart, and I've done that from a youth. But Jesus says, I want you to go one step further. I want you to submit to my will. I want you to sell everything that you have, give that to the poor, and come and follow me. See, it's one thing to understand and, and believe, and, and you should believe, that God has a plan for your life. But your part of that is not only understanding that it's there, but submitting to the will of God that he will carry it out. Now, I want to 
we're going to go from New Testament. I'm going to take you all the way back to the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. And there's a lot of uh, scripture to cover, and I, I'm going to cover over some. I'm going to stop here. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, and then we're going to jump to the next chapter, chapter 6, 1 through 20. And there's a lot here, but so... So buckle up. I want you to hold on because we're going to go through some of this kind of fast. But I, I want you to understand and give you a little context here. When we look at the book of Joshua, what, we, I, what I think is a prime example of submission to God's plan, submission to God's will. So what is happening here is, is after, after the 40 years of wandering in, 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 the, in the desert, the people of Israel, the children of Israel, those who had been delivered out of bondage from Egypt— are now entering into the promised land. Joshua is their leader. He is, he is appointed as the leader. He's the general. And he is, he is had the, given the task of conquering what, what they called the promised land. And there was this, this area called Jericho. And Jericho was a fortified city. And, and what you're going to see here is, a, I think, a prime example of the difference between simply having faith and using that faith as fuel to submit to God's will. So let's read this real quick when we get here. Beginning in verse uh, 5, verse 13, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 13. I'll get there. It says this, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, the man said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And moving to verse, uh, verse 1 in chapter 6, it says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city all the men of war going around the city once, thus shall you do for six days. Now, from the very beginning of this text, we, we see a profound statement of faith on the part of Joshua. But we also see a profound statement from God. See, if you look at this, it, it, what's happening is in in. in, in in terms of fortification, all, cities throughout these kingdoms, throughout history, have built walls around their city. Not to keep people in, but to keep people out, to keep from being sieged. And when, when the army of Israel came, and there were so many, that the, the, the scripture says that the people of Jericho were afraid. And so what they did is they went into the city walls. And they fortified the city. They were preparing for a siege. 
which was not uncommon practice. When it says no one went in, no one went out. So, so the walls were, were high. The gates were closed. There were guards and soldiers posted all around the city because they were prepared for Israel to attack. But that's not what happened. It would be very difficult. Probably what the Israelites were preparing for and what happened is when they would siege, act on a siege, which means you would cut off the supply lines going into that city. Essentially what happened in most of these times in the scenario is you simply waited out until the people inside the city became too weak because they ran out of food. They were tired because they, they, were, they were scared. They ran, they ran out of food and supplies and water. And even the soldiers had become so weak that it made it easier to take on that city. When the time came to attack, it was much easier. That's what was, that was what was in the mind of so many. But God says this. Through all that, he's saying, look, I've already given you the city. Even though you're not in it, I'm, I've already given you the city. See, what it, what it acknowledges and, and what Joshua is acknowledging is to understand that when we submit to God's will, it acknowledges that God, not us, God is in charge of our pursuit. After all, if we, if, we, if we preach and we believe that God has a plan, it isn't our plan that's being carried out. It's God's plan. God is responsible for our pursuit. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, it's one of, one of the, my favorite verses, I think probably one of yours too, says, for I know the plans I have for you. Declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. See, what God is telling us is that he has a plan for each and every one of us. And we have faith that God does that. We, we preach it, we teach it, and I, and I think we believe it. But what the requirement on our part is we submit to that. And once we submit to that, we understand, God, I'm no longer in charge of my life. I'm going to live the life that you want me to live. I want to live out the plan that you have for me, and I want you to take charge, understanding that if God has a plan for us, it's not for evil, it's not to lead us down a dark path, but it's for hope, it's for restoration, it's for love, and it's for peace. God, I want you to take control of my pursuit. I want my life to be about you. In everything that I do, I want it to be about you. That's what submission is. See, the promise that, of what the Lord is telling Joshua is the same promise that he has today. When we accept Christ and we, we accept and we and we honor God and, and move and say, God, I, I want you to be in control of my life. I want to understand, and I do understand, I have the faith and I believe that Jesus Christ died for me and paid a price for my salvation, and that when I have accepted and I ask him to come into my heart and take over my life, that I'm no longer in charge. Lord, you're in charge 
of my pursuit. That's exactly what Joshua is saying, God. Because there's no question, there's no hesitation as we continue in this scripture. There's no hesitation that, that Joshua and the people of Israel, that they didn't believe what God was saying. They, they did wholeheartedly. You'll see this as, the, as they plan this out. See, we often have tremendous faith that God handles our lives. But so often, I believe, we, we struggle sometimes to make sense of the future. We, we struggle. To, we, we so want to know what that future holds, and we, we want to kind of do this tug of war with God. And we're fighting for control because we don't know the future. Instead of saying, God... I give it to you. I'm submitting to your will. I want you to use me and carry out the plan that you have for my life. The second thing we, we see from that and, and what we see from Joshua is that he accepted what, that God had this plan. He accepted the fact that, that God had already been at the end of what's about to happen. In this week that's to come, this, we're going to get to this in a minute. But the very first thing that, we, that Joshua demonstrates is that submission to God, submission to God's will requires humility. If you look at that scripture again in, in verse 15 of, of chapter 5, the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. The scripture says, and Joshua did so without hesitation. This is not the first time that God, in, in some form, has told his follower to take off his shoes, to take off his sandals. He said the same thing to Moses. Take off your sandals, for the place you stand is, the ground you stand on is holy. That means you're standing in the presence of God. See, this, the idea of taking off your shoes, taking this, it illustrates, at least for me, when I'm reading through this, it illustrates that there is a peace that comes over you. Think about it this way. When you go home and, and you're, well, maybe this is just me. When I, when I go home, one of the first things I do is take my shoes off. When I get through my door, I take my shoes off because I've had them on all day. I, very often I wear boots that I have, uh, uh, combat style boots because I Sometimes I have to run around in the muck and the mud, and, and they're steel-toed. And after 10 hours, those things get uncomfortable. So I take them off, and I get this sense of relief, and I get this sense of peace because I'm home. So that's what this is representing. Just understanding this. Humility is this, friends, that just understanding the fact that God is bigger than any of us. That God's plan is, as, as Jeremiah says, he has a plan for us, and we have faith in that plan, and all we need to do is trust and submit to his will, and we humble ourselves, understanding that, God, I can't do this on my own. God, in order for your plan to be carried out, I realize it isn't about me. I realize, Lord, that you have set me apart and you have sanctified my life for your glory, for your honor. See, we, we talked in the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about the idea 
of taking on the very nature of Christ, as we should. If we believe in him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We become his. We become his children. We become what he wants us to be, and our faith moves us and pushes us toward him. And the best way we could is we humble ourselves first. See, Jesus humbled himself. That's what scripture says. Jesus, who was king there at the time of creation, through all things, John says, all things were created through him. And Jesus, in all his might and all his power and all his authority, humbled himself, born fully man, fully God, in order to pay a price and a sacrifice. He humbled himself so much that he went on the cross to die for you and for me and for all of those who have called upon the name of Jesus. So taking on the nature of Christ means we have to be humble. We have to come to God in a sense of humility and bow before him. See, it's impossible to submit to God's will if you're full of pride and you're full of wanting control of everything that goes on. You have to let go. You have to acknowledge God is in control, you, and you are submitting to that, that will. In chapter 6, the instructions given by, by the Lord is this. He said seven in, in verse 4, Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And then when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on, the, on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them, the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark with the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Now, let's, let's just get a visual here, shall we? So the, the Israelite, they had an army, right? They were prepared to 
siege, lay siege to the city of Jericho to fight their way in and take over the city. But God had a different plan. God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to line up, and I want, the, I want the front of the guard to go in front of the ark and the seven priests. I want seven priests, and I want them to blow horns, and, and, and I want everyone else to be behind, and I want everyone to simply walk around the city one time. Don't say anything. Just walk around the city. And we're going to do that, guys, for six days. And then we're going to go back every day, and we're going to go sleep, and then we're going to wake up, and we're going to do it all over again. Does this sound like a good plan to anybody? I mean, honestly, this sounds a little crazy. Joshua gets these orders, and he goes immediately to, to his people, and he says, this is what we're going to do. Why is this what, cause what we're going to do? Because God says so. That's why. And we're going to do that. And, and, with it, and seemingly, what, what Scripture shows us is that without hesitation, the people did it. Had Joshua said, hey, this is my plan, guys. This is what I want us to do. I know we have this army. I know they're afraid. But you know what we're going to do? We're just going to walk around the city. You don't think anybody would be like, I don't know. Might be questioning his ability? No, they didn't. Why? Because Joshua says, this is what the Lord spoke to me. We're submitting to God's plan. This is what we're going to do. So he humbled himself, but it requires, what it also shows us is that the idea, the concept of submission requires obedience. It's essential. It's obedience. It is doing what we are told without dispute, without asking, sometimes without knowing the end result. Understanding that, that we are, have obedience, and when, when we submit to God's will, we also have to understand the fact of the matter, which is sometimes God's plan for our life may be radically different than what, what our expectation is. I know it was for my life. If you've heard me speak before, and I, and I, in my, when I first started out and I felt the call uh, to ministry and to vocational ministry, and, and I had no intention. I came to, to the ministry, to pastoring churches, and at what I usually say, kicking and screaming. I had a little temper tantrum before God. God, you cannot seriously want me to pastor, to be a minister, to be a pastor. God, you cannot want me to plant a church. You're, you can't be talking to me. But when we submit to his will, we understand that it's not, it's not my will. It's his will. And he is in control of that pursuit. My part on that is simply being obedient. I, you know, I wanted to be a school teacher at first. And then during my little temper tantrums for growing up, when I left, when I graduated from high school, I graduated a year early, and, and I knew even then that God was calling me, and I said, no, God, I'm not doing it. I won't do it. No, mm-mm, mm-mm, don't hear you, God. Maybe it's just me. Maybe not. I think a lot of people have this, have this struggle. 
Do you have a sense of obedience? My friends, you may be hearing God speak to you. You may have been trying not to listen. You may have been avoiding knowing that God is calling you or, or telling you of something you should be doing or need to be doing, of something in that plan. Maybe it's ministry. Maybe it's simply just having a conversation with the person that you work with or, or somebody around you and, you, and you've resisted that. You've not done that in obedience. Maybe it's time to say, God, I realize that you have set me apart. And though it's not something I really, I'm, one, I'm scared. I'm scared because maybe I don't have the right words. God, I hear that one a lot. I don't have the right words to say, Lord. Or what if they ask me this or that? What if I don't have the right answers? And God is simply speaking to you and says, all I want you to do is be obedient because I got this. It's not what I'll do for, for God. It's what God does through me that counts. Do you have the faith and the fuel to understand that God knows what he asks of you. God knows what he expects of you. God knows what you're going to do. Do you have the trust and the faith to be obedient to his calling? Submission to God's will comes down to one thing as a primary rule. You must be obedient. Scripture tells us then on the seventh day, Joshua rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city. This is in verse 15. Around the city in the same manner seven times. So they've done this six times, one time each day for six days. On the seventh day, the order of the Lord was to walk around and march around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live. That's a different message. Because she hid the messengers whom we sent 18, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, to, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. So what, what's, what's that, what they're saying is that God has given us the city, and we're to take that city, but we're not to take anything out of it. We're not to take any spoils of war. Why? Because we didn't do it. God did. That is to honor him. We're obedient to that plan. See, it's the, the understanding that God had this plan that took a week. 
A week of obedience of the armies of, of the Lord walking, simply walking around the city every day, once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, walking around that city seven times. I don't know how big the city was, but I can imagine this took a little time. They were silent for six days. And on the seventh, they shouted. See, seven days this took. So what that, when I read this and, I, and we take this and, and understanding that we, we apply this to our lives, the, the context of this, it means it, the truth that it speaks to me and I'm, I want to share with you is that submission means that we trust that God has a plan and that he will carry out that plan in his time, not in ours. See, we live in a world of instant gratification. We live in a world that we want to see instant results. And sometimes we, we want that instant gratification, and, and we have carried that at times into our life of faith. God, I, I, I want you to bless me, and I, but I want, you, I want to bless me now. God, I, I know you have a plan for me, and, and, but I want to see the end. I, I want to see what's going to happen. God, I, I, I really I, I want to submit to you, but I want to see, I, I need to see some progress, Lord. I need to see that, that, that this life that I, that I proclaim, this life of faith, isn't for anything. And you know what God says? I have plans for you. I know the plans for you. They are plans not for evil, but for good. We trust in that. Do you realize there is nothing in this world, there's no promise anywhere in Scripture that says when we accept Christ and we ask him to be Savior and Lord of our life, that on this earth we will have prosperity. There, there's nothing in the formula. All we, at the end of the day, all we have when we accept Christ as Savior and Lord of our, uh, of our life and we submit to that plan and we humble ourselves and we are obedient to his plan, understanding that he will work in our lives for his glory and for his good, and we will see the results of that, maybe not even in this world, but we will see it when we stand before God and we celebrate. That God was faithful and true to his word. We may not see it on this world. Friends, we're, there's a lot of times we struggle. You may be struggling right now. You may be challenged with something in life that, that seems like a barrier that you cannot, simply cannot get over. I wish I could tell you that God will solve all of your problems on this earth. But I'd be lying. 
Because when it comes down to it, friends, we're not living for this world. We live our life for what is to come. What I can promise you is that God the Father loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. That when we believe in him and accept him as Savior and Lord of our lives, God allows us to come into his presence, into all of his glory, and we have the hope of eternal life, not here, not today, but what is to come. And that, friends, is where the peace and the prosperity comes from. That I can promise you. Why? Because God tells me, tells me so. God's word tells us so. You may be struggling today. Maybe it's time to ask yourself at the end of each day, have I lived today for God? Have I lived the life that he wants me to live today? Have I glorified him in some way today? Am I living for him and not for myself? Am I acknowledging that I am now set apart, sanctified by Christ's blood and cleansed of my unrighteousness so that I have a moment of peace and prosperity and just a glimpse of what is to come and living tomorrow for God, living tomorrow for the Lord, being stronger in your faith, submitting to that will more tomorrow than you were today and growing and growing and, and, and making this part of your life, making this your life. Maybe it's time today to acknowledge that maybe you've been struggling. I know I've had these moments where I've just been struggling. Maybe a little bit like, kind of like my son at the beginning of, the, of the, when I started talking, that you're struggling, just have a hope, and, and, and we're so worried about what is going to happen. We're so worried about, about what's going to happen to us, what's going to happen to our loved ones. Maybe it's time to submit to God's will. Maybe it's time to do exactly what the, the psalm says. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Trust in the Lord. Friends, today, if you get nothing else, trust in the Lord and do good. Submit yourselves to him and to his plan. And he will not lead you astray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now joyful to be gathered together in your name. Father, we just acknowledge today that there are times that we struggle.
We struggle to let, let go of, of the control that we, we want to have, and, and we fall into old ways where we try to make it about ourselves. Father, we know that you have plans for us, plans for good and for your glory and for your honor, plans for peace and prosperity that we may not see the end result, but we have the faith, and we want to have the obedience to live each day in that plan that you have for us. Give us the confidence and the endurance to see through each day for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.